Hi, I'm Dave. And I'm Paul. And we're going to challenge you to transform your financial future through the principles of the most profitable business in the world, banking. We believe everyone should be involved in two businesses, the business that you're in and the banking business. Everyday people can replicate what bankers have been doing for centuries to leverage capital and build wealth through private lending. Join us as we uncover the truths about money, expose lies and myths, and flip conventional financial advice on its head. Here we go. Hey, Paul. Welcome back, buddy. Hey, man. How you doing? I am good. I'm very good. been spending pretty much the entire day doing presentations on this new uh, death benefit exchange strategy. So John and I have been going back and forth. I think uh, still got a couple more hours left. So he's on his own now because I got to record. Right. Right. And you have to go to baseball. And I got baseball. So we got to cut this off in half an hour and get the baseball. Yeah. Right on. What's going on in your world? Well, so when we moved in here, April of 21, we decided to, we had to do a lot of rehab to this house. You know, we did all the bathrooms. We did the kitchen countertop for the island. We did the AC. We did flooring in the basement, carpeting, paint. Anyway, so now we're doing the main flooring. So a thousand square feet, give or take, of uh, luxury vinyl plank is what we opted for. Yeah. We need the durability for the dog and, and if we turn this into a rental after. But yeah. folks have done a wonderful job, super efficient. It would have taken me like years to do this. They're, you know, two days. So you know, it's, some things are just not worth doing yourself. That's for no, sure. I my dad's like, You're doing it yourself? I'm like, Dad, when do I have time to do that? Right. You know, like, and I, I was so this leads me to a conversation I was having with one of my sons this morning while we were waiting for his bus to show up. I calculated like my my hourly rate, right? Let's say that I, I said, hey, Bo, my hourly rate is $200. Paying somebody to mow the yard in the summertime, I'll pay him 50 bucks. Is that a smart idea? You know, and he thought about it. And I said, well, what can I save by mowing the yard myself? Well, $50. Okay, what do I lose by not working for that one hour? $200. Okay, so it doesn't make sense to pay somebody 50 bucks to mow the yard so I can work for another hour and make a net $150 on that. Right. Right. So it's all a trade. Only if you're only if you're looking to like an excuse to drink beer in the sun or, you know, whatever. But yeah, some people like yard work like it's their Zen place. Not me. I could care less. I just like it to look nice. Let somebody else do it. Right. The end result. Yeah. There you go. I have, well, that's cool. why I, I make Anthony do it. Well, yeah. <laughs> so Bo, Bo's funny. He's like, well, this summer, uh, I'll remember You can that. pay me 50 to, bucks. <laughs> it, well, he's like, I'm going to have to raise my rates this summer. Because last year I would pay the boys uh, not 50 bucks. No. I'd pay him to mow. Um, and he's like, I'm going to have to raise my rates. So yeah. he's catching I pay up. Anthony. I pay Anthony 10 bucks. You know, we have a postage stamp yard here. So yeah. 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 It's terrible. <laughs> Anyway, what well, are we talking right. about today? We got it. Well, you got a question to start with, right? We do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's start with that. This comes in from Chris. Uh, so he he emailed me. This is actually last night, I think, because he was trying to talk to his wife about it. And uh, so the question is this. Is it better in general to contribute the minimum into the 401k in order to get the match? Or do I keep, let's say it's 5% match, right? Or do I keep the 5% under my own control and give up the match? Let's say you, Dave. Okay. Um, I already gave him my answer. Well, so we don't give investment advice on this podcast or in person, but I'll tell you what I did is I had a 401k for a little while. And this is kind of funny because I had, I started my infinite banking policies in 2010 when I was in the military. I got out in 2014 and went to a 
a job in corporate America where, of course, you get the 401k. So I signed automatic up automatic enrollment. It, well, it wasn't at that time. I think now it is. Mm. Right. So I signed up and uh, I did that for about six months. And then, you know, I started getting back in the books and, and being like, you know, I've got this infinite banking policy. You know, what am I doing here? And I, I ended up stopping my contribution and they did give me a match. I think it was like 6% uh, of a match, but I stopped the contribution and I wrote out a paper and maybe we'll put the, the show notes in there on why I quit my 401k. So I, I think I published an article on LinkedIn. So we'll, we'll add this. You did. I remember I was going to, yeah, yeah. I was going to mention and, that you wrote, and I just wrote that letter to myself and there's probably seven or eight different, uh, you know, headings on like seven or eight different reasons. And then I elaborate on every one of them underneath. And as a reminder to when I ever started questioning, you know, am I doing the right thing? I would just pull up that document and read it again. And it would reassure me that, yes, I made the right decision for me. So I think there's very few people that would tell you not to take the match. And I'm not telling you one way or another. I'm just telling you what I did. And I was happy I did. It worked out well for me. Yeah. You know, my um, part of my answer to him, <clears throat> excuse me, was, you know, I'd rather control 100% of my money than, than 95% of it at age 59 and a half, right? I'd rather have all, because if you if you look at opportunity cost, Dave, you know, we have no idea what that 401k is gonna earn, right? So are you really, I, there's a chance, there's a strong chance if you're savvy, right? And people that do IBC are savvy that you're not losing anything by giving up the match. But again, like Dave said, I'm not here to give advice. You, you know, that's something, that's a question that only only you and your personal situation can answer. Uh, but it is very enticing. Oh, I get a free, they match my contribution, right? And it's very enticing and we're programmed to take it. And um, it's, you know, it's in the military now and government workers, they get they get a match, right? Yep. Um, and now this auto, automatic enrollment stuff, they can't wait to take you to separate you from your money, right? So anyway, like you though, I quit my 401k or the, you know, the TSP after getting into IBC, haven't looked back, no regrets, but I don't get a match, but it wouldn't have mattered. No, you don't. What I would say is how much of a tax, a taxable retirement account do you want? Because the 401k, as everybody should know who's participating in one, you get the, the tax break today and you defer it's you don't get a tax savings so people stop you know the media the way they market it they say tax savings just like they call five the 529 plan a savings plan it's not that's an investment plan your 401k is not a tax savings it's a tax deferment you're kicking the can down the road and you're going to pay taxes on the harvest not the seed which is going to be a significantly greater portion or not <laughs> depending on, on how the market does right right um a great book so I had a client email me, I think this morning and said, Hey, great podcast on Monday. I'm, I started reading the book you guys talked about. So I'll just throw out another book recommendation, the power of zero by David McKnight. Uh, oh yeah. That's a really great book. Um, although I will say yep. he uses IUL. We would not recommend IUL for this. I would recommend whole life insurance, but the power of zero is really great. He breaks everything down into three buckets, like a, a taxable bucket, a tax free bucket, and a, um, there's three buckets. I, I don't, re I read the book from the, the yeah. recommendation we got a couple years back during our hunting trip. And I did pick that book up and read it, but yes, I, I don't rip it's on the shelf, but I can't remember yeah. exactly Essentially, the, the buckets. Yeah. He breaks down the math on if, you know, how much of your income do you 
is it okay to have at a taxable rate during your retirement? Because if you go above a certain amount, which is a very small amount of taxable income, you know, taking that, then you're going to start getting taxed up to 80% of your social security will be taxed and it moves you into another bracket. So anyway, pick that book up and uh, just replace IUL in there with whole life when you read it. And, and it'll be a great read for you. Only if you want guarantees. Only if you want guarantees. Absolutely. So, well, speaking of books and, and 401ks and all that stuff, um, we were talking before we started recording here about this book right here called Heads I Win, Tails You Lose by Patrick Donahoe. And I read this a couple of years ago. And, you know, if you can get one gold nugget out of a, a book, then it was totally worth your time. And there's one in here that stuck with me and I constantly refer back to it. And um, I call it, he might call it the, he calls it the hierarchy of wealth. I call it the wealth pyramid. So uh, you remember what that is. So you want to describe kind of, you know, what that create a visual for people to, to, to see here while they're listening. Yes. Another, another great book that I really enjoyed. And I, I think I read that book in 2020 or maybe early 21. Um, but it's a pretty fairly new book. Um, so, all right. So the wealth pyramid. So if you could picture, you know, the great pyramids in Egypt and how they're shaped, right? They get, you know, thinner or narrower as you go to the top, right? So at the bottom is what um, Patrick calls his like tier one asset class, right? And Dave, for us, the tier one would be what? It'd be dividend paying whole life insurance. It'd be dividend paying whole life insurance, right? So that makes up the largest portion of the foundation of this pyramid is his tier one assets or what the banks would call tier one capital, you know, banks that, oh, wait, they buy whole life insurance. They buy, you know, products from life insurance companies all the time to serve as tier one capital fund other mm -hmm. things. But anyway, why would you buy it? I don't know. But it serves as tier one capital. And that's where the majority of our wealth should reside. And in our case, it does. Right. And the criteria for tier one capital, he he defines this as really everything that uh, whole life insurance is, you know, guaranteed, liquid, a prudent return. So we're not chasing a high rate of return with that capital. You're chasing, you're sure. getting a return, but it's guaranteed and control. So at the base of that pyramid, there's four tiers and going up, picture an arrow on the right and an arrow on the left. The arrow on the right says risk. And at the bottom is zero risk. And at the top of that pyramid, as it goes up, is maximum risk. Right. And then on the left, picture an arrow going from the top down that says control. So at the bottom, you have maximum control. And at the top, you have zero control. So risk and control act inverse of each other on this pyramid as you go up the pyramid. So, and, and Patrick, you know, I don't have any recommendations on how much to put in there. Patrick says 15 to 20% of your earned income should go in this kind of capital. You know, what Nelson recommends is all of your income should funnel through this before it's used, right? So that's a goal to, to attain at some point. Um, but he says 15 to 20%. We say, you know, actually 15 to 25% is a great place to start for putting your money in this tier one capital through dividend paying whole life insurance. So, and then you, you move up the pyramid. So what's tier two? Well, tier two would involve things that you have control, collateral, cash flow, and consistency. So think that, you know, that brings to mind investing in my own business or maybe a business of a, of a friend where they give me, I don't know, maybe they give me some equity in the business or they give me some capital goods like equipment or something that serves this cloud, like a nice truck or a trailer 
uh, or a dump truck, right? Which we've done. Um, mm -hmm. How about real estate? Cash flowing real estate would be a good example of this, right? I like yep. I like cash flowing real estate. It's a it's a great asset that I I put a lot of money into. So stuff like that, passive income, some control, some collateral, and some something hard backing it up. I think. Yeah, and I think that's where we put a significant amount of our cash value towards. So first tier yep. one, grow that capital base, and then take loans against our cash value in our policies and put it towards tier two. We're just working up the pyramid. Yeah, tier two, I would uh, really, that that kind of sounds like all of the private lending that we do. Like you and I do private lending in general, where <laughs> we, we still, we control the terms, right? There's collateral backing it. We get cash flow and we like monthly cash flow, but we'll take annual sometimes too. And it's consistent. So every single month, same day that money hits my account. So that's, that's private lending Yes, right there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, we've talked about this in the podcast, Dave, before, you know, we've evolved as far as criteria for, for private loans and strategies for private loans and uh, what we're willing to do with our capital now, vice, let's say five years ago, right? Yeah, absolutely. Five years ago, we were doing you know, tier four. Tier four <laughs> was our base, not tier one. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, it was just not good. Yeah. All right. All right. So, so what, what's tier three? Tier three. Okay. This is going to be familiar for most Americans, I think, Dave, right? Anyone that's in a 401k, anyone contributing to a, a traditional Roth IRA that's serviced by a, a custodian that is not a self-directed custodian, let's say, like a normal brokerage or something. So we have no guarantees, limited collateral, no control. And I'm reading right from the book. Or control is relinquished to a professional. So think your certified financial planner, your financial advisor, somebody like that, that you've got your IRA with that person's company as the custodian and you are handing over a yearly contribution. Let's say if it's a Roth or maybe you're doing a monthly contribution and you have a brokerage over there, you have 529 college savings plans and all these other things, right? That is what Patrick Donahoe is talking about in this, in this tier three. Yeah. And, and a lot of listeners are probably very familiar with maybe syndicating so syndications could be tier three as well, where you're handing your money over to a, a professional. And, and a lot of these syndicators are great. I mean, you've worked with them quite a bit more than I have. And you've gotten your money yeah. back. You've gotten a good return. But mm -hmm. there's still a significant amount of risk in that compared to tier one and tier two. So no question. Up the, up the pyramid, you don't have any control over the, the terms. The syndicator is going to dictate the terms. And then you're going to lose control over your money for a set period of time write a term on that note. So your control goes down and your risk goes up, but you know, it's, it's kind of that, you know, high risk, high return tier. So, yeah. And I might've jumped the gun on tier three, Dave, but I think, I think we got it. I think we got it right. To me, what he's describing is, is that of course is syndications because he says it, but lending against collateral. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, I agree with that, but I, I think if you take collateral properly, you could you move still, that to tier two. I kind of feel like it's like maybe two, two, two and change. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, it depends, you know, hard money lending. I would, you know, I did hard money lending on the Lin, Lindy side while I was flipping houses. Yeah. And those are, those are pretty risky for the lender. They can be, especially if, you know, the economy takes a turn. If I don't perform, my contractor doesn't perform, the, the flip takes months and months longer than planned and sure. the economy turns and, and the house is underwater. Like, yeah. And I've, they're in I've second guaranteed. position, probably. Right. They're in second position. They're not going to get their money back. They can come after me. But at that point, I probably wouldn't have any money anyway, because it all went right into the house. And so it, it's a lot riskier. 
which is why some hard money lenders can charge 20% and people take that money. 20% and two or three points. On top and points. That. Yeah, they do yeah. points as well. Sure. Yeah. No, that's good. So, and they take the points out when they loan you the money. Oh, so yeah. It's up front. <laughs> yeah. Here's here's $100,000. It's going to cost you three points. We're going to keep that 3000 Yep. It'll give you 97 Loan you 97 So yeah. you pay those points up front. Yeah. That's right. So, hey, he who has the gold makes the rules. That's right. Yeah. And then there's tier four. So at the very top of that pyramid where you have zero control and maximum risk, what would that be? So I think it's more like what I was describing, although I think there's some overlap. So this this might be, I mean, people are familiar with syndication and other things like that, but this is, I think, your traditional where most Americans, what most middle-class Americans are doing, even top 10% earners are doing with their money. They're putting it with somebody and they have no guarantees, no collateral, it's speculative, it's the stock market, right? Right, it's, yeah, that, that great roulette wheel, the stock market. Yep. And where you get to take 100% of the risk and you only get maybe 30% of the reward. Oh gosh. Everybody else gets their share, right? Oh yeah, you're last in line to get paid, that's for sure. You're last in line. There's like six people ahead of you that get paid before you do. Hell, so even those banks that failed in 08, those executives were still getting multi-million dollar bonuses and stuff. Yeah. Like what a yeah. what a great business. I know, right? Great job destroying the company. Here's your your golden Golly. parachute. So yeah. I, I would put other things um, in tier four, like uh, cryptocurrency. You know, oh my goodness, that's like tier. That's like that's like off. The, it's like jumping off the pyramid. <laughs> I mean, it's so if you guys yeah can't tell, we're we're probably not too keen on on crypto. And for me, it's because I like the idea. I love the idea of you know uh, of DeFi and peer to peer transactions. Yes. What I don't trust is an is something that that has no intrinsic value and that there's really no underlying value other than you know what people think it it is another thing would be like nfts right non-fungible token and that what it's called it's <laughs> like how many people can actually explain an nft and then they invest in it like that right there is don't invest in anything you don't understand that's i was going to say invest in what you know folks i i'm not comfortable doing those things i i also dave don't have the time or frankly, the desire to investigate it any deeper than we just did right now in the last 30 seconds. Yeah, right. So if you're a big crypto person, you know, we're, we're not your guys, probably. I just no. And, it, and there may be some people who, uh, there are some people again, who are going to do a lot better in crypto than others, because they spend the time and they reduce the risk of those transactions, because they increase their knowledge. So as knowledge goes up, risk goes down. Right. And, and I'm not disparaging anybody that, you know, people are good at certain things. That's just not my cup of tea. No, me neither. I, uh, I heard a quote from um, somebody I really like. And he said, the reason he doesn't like it is he'd rather get rich for certain than try to get rich fast or try to get rich quick. Yeah, I like Right. I, I like that. And that's I told someone the other day, I'll take um I'll take a steady eight to 12% year after year all day over, yeah. you know, 500% overnight. I mean, I really would. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's it. So, so you got this pyramid tier one, most control, least amount of risk on the bottom, all the way up to tier four, least control, most amount of risk. And that's really how you should build that foundation. But what do most Americans do? And certainly the middle class, they take that pyramid and they turn it upside down and and stand it on its head. And well, because start, I was inverted, <laughs> four. you know, 
Yeah. <laughs> Inverted. So they start at tier four and funnel you know, 90% of their wealth building, maybe not 90, because a lot of the wealth in America is in, in people's homes. So sure. Call it, call it 50, 50, 50% of their wealth and their, their income that they put away for that retirement or a rainy day or whatever goes into tier four where they have zero control and maximum risk. I mean, you just described, you know, me for most of my military career, right? I started off at the top of the pyramid or, you know, it was inverted. So I was still at the bottom, but I was putting, yeah, I was putting every extra penny I could in frankly into, into the stock market through, right. through my least favorite product now, mutual funds. Yeah. But at the time I had no knowledge. I didn't really have the time to, or maybe I did, I just didn't. Right. Well, yeah, totally inverted. Yep. And you know, because that's what everybody else is doing. And uh, I mean, if there's yeah. one organization that teaches you to be a conformist, it's the military. So just stand in line, march, look like everybody else, do what everybody else does, and don't get on anybody's radar. Right? That's like ingrained to you in you when you get in the military. At the right place, right time, right uniform, and gosh, you'll make lieutenant colonel. Yeah, stay out of trouble. Um, so it's very easy to follow the crowd. In that sense, you know, it's very difficult to take that pyramid and turn it right side up and start where you should start. thought it was funny. I remember having conversations with people when I was first starting out in this business and really I hadn't honed how I explain it and how I relate to people with this concept. Sure. So I would just come out and talk about it. And, you know, because whole life insurance is such a, a, a foreign concept to the majority of people and a, a frowned upon product to much of the mainstream financial uh, advice. I would get people saying, yeah, well, I do, you know, 401k and everything. And yeah, I don't do, uh, I don't think I'm really interested in whole life insurance. I'm very conservative. And, and I would say, well, obviously I missed a boat on explaining this to you because there's nothing more conservative than guaranteed whole life insurance, right? Right, I mean, you probably did a, did a fine job. I think it's just people are programmed and brainwashed to, to see things a certain way. And like I said, in other episodes, you know, their understanding of whole life insurance is based off somebody else's misunderstanding of it. Right. Yeah, and that's absolutely that is the case. And that thankfully, we got a recent client that comes from a family that buys whole life insurance and has for generations. Cool. And gosh, that's great. Yeah, that's that, that doesn't happen. That's the first time I've encountered this. Yeah. You know, I think going back to that, you know, the statement that the, this one person told me, oh, I'm, I'm conservative, so I don't I don't do life insurance. It makes me think some people confuse being conservative with doing what everybody else does, like as if they're the same thing. I'm conservative, right. so I just stick with the mainstream avenues, right? And that's right. completely opposite of being conservative. Yeah. Conservative would be like warehousing cash under your mattress or in a, <laughs> in a fireproof gun safe that's good to 1800 degrees Fahrenheit or something for an hour, right? And then the next step would be doing that, but kicking in the bank, you know, a good bank or a credit union or something. Credit union, yeah. Um, and then the next probably thing is is whole life insurance. It's boring. It's slow. It's not sexy. Oh gosh, it has guarantees. Oh, it doesn't involve the IRS. Oh, I don't want that. I I would like something that generates a 1099 of some sort because I just I want I, to pay more tax. I right? can't get. Yeah, I just want to do my patriotic duty. So it, yeah, if you could put your money somewhere where it was guaranteed, where you transferred 100% of the risk of loss to to another company um, where you earn consistent return, where it's liquid, where you can leverage it, where you get to earn uninterrupted compound growth, 
and tax-free growth at that, at least access it tax-free upon the growth. Does that sound like something you'd be interested in? That like, sounds like what maybe what every, you evolved to. Everybody would say, yes, that sounds amazing. And then you say whole life insurance and they're like, oh, okay, you got me there. You know, you try to pull a slick one on me. Um, so call a spade a spade. Like that's exactly what whole life insurance is. It's guarantees. It's, it's liquidity. It's uh, risk transfer. Um, it's compounded growth. Uninterrupted compound growth. You can't get that anywhere else that I know of. No. And what a way to live, Dave, um, by buying that product and then overlaying, mating, you know, matching it up with with IBC, right? Uh, gosh, you know this all this money that you know that we've poured into this house. You know, back in my old life, Dave, I I think I would have either not done it and just lived with the way the house was because all my money's in TSP and IRAs and whatever, um, or I would have charged it, which is also not ideal, right? Um, so yeah, I I love the product, love the process. And, it, and it's, it's tough for people though, Dave, to, as an outsider looking in, to know how I can feel and you can feel and our families and our clients on what it feels like to control you know, to begin to see how controlling the banking function is the way, right? Yeah. That's a tough thing. You can't, that's a tough thing to explain because it's, it's more than just the product and the process. It's, it's a little bit more than that, right? You really got to live it and, um, and want something different, want something better for the future. Yeah. And, you know, there, there are people that are hesitant. They get scared when it gets time to finally pull the trigger you know, you've had clients who get all the way to the end and they're like, eh, I'm not quite, I, I don't know. Yep. Um, you know, it's because it's so out of the norm. So all I can say is, hey, just trust the process. You're not going to regret it. Go forward with it and, um, you know, and look forward, not back. So <laughs> I tell you, those, I was thinking about this. I wish it were, you know, ethical and legal and i had the capital to be like well i'll buy your policies from you <laughs> yeah well the, i'll the fund them is, you're just the yeah. insured but you obviously yeah. can't do that right right no that wouldn't be ethical, don't have an right? insurable interest on them but my gosh they just dave they don't know what they're giving up and i had that you know i had that recently in november december time frame great you know good people really liked them really thought it was going to be going to be great. And then, uh, he was kind of all over the place and just, uh, didn't work yeah. out, but well, and they look at what they're giving up in the short term, the first handful of years, sure, and they can't look past that and see what they're giving up over the long term If they don't do it, yeah. they view their premium as a bill, Dave, which is yeah. how I used to view my vanilla whole life that I used to own, right? Non-dividend paying. I just paid the premiums, whatever, didn't leverage it, didn't do anything. It was the bill to yep. me. And that's, I think that's the change folks is when you sold me these first four, I didn't look at those as a bill because I had read, I had educated, we had had a couple sessions that I can't wait to pay those premiums. Again, as an outsider, that's a weird, that's going to seem weird to people. Like what? You want to pay your life insurance? No, I want to pay more, more often, more, more cash, right. more premium. It's the solution as James yep. would say. Yep. Well, to, to wrap this up, you know, take that, that image of that pyramid and instead of you know, viewing money going into each tier, each, you know, tier one, two, three, and four individually, 
picture all that money first going into tier one and then coming out of there and going into tier two, three, and four, because that's right. what, what can be done. The sequence of your money. We did a whole episode on sequence, you know, the sequence matters. Um, yep. So you sequence it into tier one and then use that tier one capital to fund tier two, three, and four. You know, that brings me to like a la another last thought, Dave. Nelson talks about that in, in Becoming Your Own Baker. I'm holding it up for those of you listening, but on YouTube, I'm holding up his book uh, because it's worth referring back to. Basically, you know, paraphrase, he says, from here, meaning the banking system that you've created the dividend paying whole life, you can do, really paraphrasing, whatever the heck you want to do. Yeah. Right? So just like Dave said, all the, all the money goes there first, your banking system, your policies, right? Goes there first. And then from there, you can do whatever you want without asking permission from anybody. Right. I don't know. I go. don't know what that's worth, but it's worth a lot. Yep. You heard it here first. So <laughs> what, what does he always say? <laughs> yeah, you heard it here first on roller derby or something. Roller derby or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's funny. All right. Well, Hey, that's a good one. And we'll leave it at that. Let's control your capital or somebody else will. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. If you'd like to have a conversation with us to see how you can become your own banker, or if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to tackle on a future episode, please send us an email to David and Paul at the ibcguys.com. And subscribe and leave us a review if you're on Apple. Follow and leave us a five-star review if you're on Spotify. And please share this with your friends. We'll see you next week.